ESPN The Zone 105.9. The Out of Bounds Show is powered by the award-winning golf courses at Dancing Rabbit Golf Club in Philadelphia, Mississippi. We are the Out of Bounds Show, driven by the all-new Nissan Pathfinder. Have you checked it out today? All-new body style from the Nissan Pathfinder. We have the Nissan plant not five miles up the road. And the all-new Nissan Pathfinder. All-new body style. Canon Nissan in Jackson. This is the Out of Bounds Show. 105.9 The Zone ESPN. You can watch the show on YouTube. Search Out of Bounds Sports. We're also streaming on the Out of Bounds radio app. We welcome in our friend Tom Luganville, National College Football Analyst with ESPN. Luke's, how's your summer, bud? Uh, well, it's just getting started, man. I'm 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 doing good. Getting ready to uh, hit a couple of camps with my with my son um, this coming weekend, and then uh, try to get as much lake time in as I can. No doubt about that. I've been on the boat a lot um, here lately on the lake. Um, where are you and your son going for camps, Luke's? Uh, we've got uh, coming up. We've got. Georgia, App State, and Wake Forest, uh, Friday, Saturday, and next Tuesday. So um, just got back from TCU last weekend. And so, you know, hopefully he's going to have some, some options. And, uh, and we'll see. So, it's, it's, you know, it's fun for me because I get to, you know, go kind of tag along on this journey that, you know, I'm not generally a part of because in the fall I never get to see him play. So Soak it up, my, my man. What's that? Soak it up. Yeah, man. And so, you know, you know, being in the field that I'm in and helping him navigate this space and, and, and all that. And then, you know, when I can go to camps, I'm, I'm going to go to every single one I can because I know, you know, when the fall rolls around, I'm going to have limited visibility with them. Well, those are all – I've been on all three of those campuses. Those are beautiful. Oh, yeah. Athens, Wake, oh, yeah. and Boone and App State are all fantastic in different ways. Um so that's going to be a lot of that's going to be a lot of fun for you. Um, do does his high school do they work out when when he's not, you know, going to camps and, and visiting with coaches? Do they work out most every morning, or how, how does that work? Oh yeah, yeah. In in the state of North Carolina where I live, they have very lax uh, practice rules in the sense that it's kind of up to the individual high school if they want to go out on the field every day. And, do drills and, and, you know, have somewhat of what I would call a semi-practice, they're able to do that. They're able to train indoors. They're able to uh, lift weights. He's going to be starting on Monday. Now, he'll miss Tuesday because of the Georgia camp, but they'll be Monday through Thursday every week, and then he has two state-mandated, like, dead periods. One's right around uh, just before and, and, and just after – July 4th, and then one is the week prior to when they go to, like, training camp. But aside from that, man, it's it's year-round. I feel like he just got done with spring ball, and now they're going right back into practice again. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. I, know, I know you're excited. Tom Luganville, ESPN, on the Out of Bounds show, going through the recruiting journey with, uh, with his son as they'll hit Georgia, Wake Forest, and App State here over the next week. Luke, I was, th- I was looking at the schedule, and, and – 
I'm, I think I'm getting excited about Alabama and, or Texas and Alabama and Tuscaloosa prime time on the network that you, you work for. Yeah. Um, last year's game drew an insane, uh, as you know, number amount of eyeballs. Um, this year will too, uh, because Texas is just so such a big brand. Um, you know, Quinn Ewers got knocked out. Texas played their tail off. Um, tell yep. me what you think. I mean, D- Sark is trying to get it there. I think he's a much better OC than head coach. But um, what do you see with Quinn Ewers? And do you think he is legit? And and yeah. do you expect him to make a jump and that this could be another fantastic ball game under the lights in Bryant-Denny second week of the year? Yeah, you know, as it relates to Quinn, you know, I think the one thing that, that we've all got to recognize, and I kept trying to state this prior to last year when this all of this hype and everything was surrounding this kid, I was trying to remind people he hadn't played organized competitive football in almost two years prior to last year because he missed his senior year, decided to enroll early at Ohio State, never even attempted a pass in a game at Ohio State. And so up until he opened the season last year, we, we kind of sometimes gloss over the fact that experience counts. And when you're not, when you're talented and you're highly anticipated and, and you know, everybody has this expectation of you to be this guy that everybody on paper says you are, but you haven't played, that is going to have a role. There is going to be a factor to that that lends to growing pain. And I think we saw some of that from Quinn Ewers. I think the biggest thing for me with him is he has got to somehow come up with a way of being consistently productive, whether it's quarter to quarter, half to half, week in and week out. He was way too much of a roller coaster last year. And I think that there's a couple of things that stood out to me about him that I thought when things were going well, it was really good, but then when things were going poorly, he reflected that maybe more than any other player, and, that, and that's in the, the realm of body language. And when you watch him, things are going good, and he's really nonchalant, and everything looks easy and effortless, and you're like, man, this guy is a cool Joe, blah, blah, blah. And you don't really realize that that exact same attitude or that exact same process when things aren't going well comes off really bad. And this last off season, I think, you know, if you notice, he's kind of starting to change his image a little bit, you know, cut his hair, looks different. He's gotten in better shape. I think he's one of those guys that kind of realized I need to work on my own personal persona from a leadership perspective, how I'm viewed, how I'm perceived, um, the look on my face, how I, how I handle myself when something bad happens. And I think that was really the focus kind of of his offseason of changing some of that stuff. And you know what? You don't realize that maybe you need to address some of those things until you've gone through a season and you have performed inconsistently. And when things haven't gone good, you, you don't look good because of how you carry yourself. And he needed I, – I really think we'll see a little bit of a different type of guy, at least I hope we do, in, in regards to that. Now, I will say this. With that matchup, there is, as I referenced, value and experience, right? I mean, they're catching Alabama at the perfect time. 
Because at that mo- at that time, Alabama may not know who they are yet at quarterback. Or if they know who their quarterback's going to be, maybe he's not going to be overly productive yet because guess what? He hasn't played. So, you know, I think that's the value in, in, in this matchup that adds to an advantage for Texas is they know who they have under center. They know who they are. They're now in year three in this offense. They're going to have exceptional skill around the quarterback. Obviously, Bijan Robinson's a huge, a huge loss. They're going to have the best offensive line they've probably had there in 15 years. Which, by the way, I don't know if I've ever shared this with you, Bo. Did you know that it has been 20, 21 or 22 years since the University of Texas has had a first-round draft choice in the offensive line? How does that happen, Tom Lugan? I have no idea. I have no idea. It's mind-boggling. But anyway, it just got me thinking because this is going to be a very good group up front in the offensive line, and it's probably going to be the best defensive football team they've had. I don't think they're a great defensive football team, but I think they're a pretty good defensive football team. Well, they've got a great defensive coordinator. I know that. Yeah, they've got a good coordinator. But they don't have, you know, like, they don't have all of these marquee guys up front that they're going to eventually end up having to have if they want to compete in the SEC for an entire conference schedule. They don't have that yet now. But they're they're primed to – if there was a, an opportunity to make a leap and to make a statement, this would be the game because of when they're catching Alabama. For our listeners, Texas plays at Alabama September 9th under the lights, ESPN primetime. It will be a – the ratings will be insane. We're, we're talking about yep. Quinn Ewers, who was highly touted out of high school, goes to Ohio State, transfers to Texas, was actually having – a uh, pretty darn good game against Bama. Gets drilled. He's out. Y'all know the story. Bryce Young, magic in the fourth quarter, and Bama pulls it out last year in Austin. But it was a heck of a ball game. I think Lugs is right. You know, Bama, we don't know what that's going to look like. Is it? Is it going to be Buckner? Is it going to be Ty Simpson? I don't think it's going to be Milrow, but it may be. What What are they going to look like week two early on under Tommy Reese? And then Lugs just made a great point. I mean, Texas hasn't had a, a first-round offensive line pick in 21, 22 years. I remember Connor Williams went like second or third round to the Cowboys several years ago out of Texas. I'm sure they've had some others, but that's hard to do. I could be the Texas O-line coach and get a, an offensive lineman in the first round in 10 years, over the 10-year stretch. Um, would, would you describe the talent gap between te- – in what you think it is, as head of recruiting for ESPN um, – would you describe the talent gap between Texas and Alabama right now? I think it's fairly significant and not necessarily just touching on the top line guys, the, the, the starters, right? Where the gap is, is significant is the depth. That's, and again, that's the difference between Alabama, Georgia, LSU, Ohio State, Clemson, the teams that have all routinely been in the college football playoff and they've all either won a national championship or played for one. That's the common denominator, right? They're the best teams up front on both sides of the ball, and they have depth to withstand an injury or two injuries. Um, the drop-off in talent when, let's just say, a premier marquee player goes off the field, the guy that's replacing him probably isn't the same guy yet. He might be, but he might be a little bit more developmental, whereas an Alabama's going to have a guy or George is going to have a guy that's going to, hop right off off the bench, go out on the field, and you might not even notice that he didn't play. Like, I'll give you a prime example. Do you remember 
the 2019 national championship when Clemson throttled Alabama out in Santa Clara, right? Yeah. And with two games to go, I think, in the regular season, Dexter Lawrence, first-round draft choice defensive tackle, all right, gets suspended. I can't remember what it was for. He gets suspended. So he does not play in the college football playoff and does not play in the national championship game, and nobody even noticed. But you know who replaced him? Who? A bunch of guys just like him. Yeah. That's the thing. Like, that's the difference, right? So when you start to, to I mean, and I, I've said, I remember when that happened, I'm going, dude, how good is Clemson? If, if, if Dexter Lawrence is not in the lineup in the middle of the defense and nobody even noticed, I mean, come on. You know, so I think that's, that's how I would describe the gap. It, it's, more depth-related than it is player for player as a starting 11 on each side of the ball. Tom Luganbill on the Farm Bureau Insurance guest line. So is there any difference in in talent between Bama and Georgia? Or is it just dead even in Tom Luganbill's eyes? Well, I don't know. I don't know if it's dead even. Um, you know, I mean, you can make an argument that maybe George in the last two to three years has had better players um, than Alabama. Um, you know, I, I still maintain, though, if, if, if Jameson Williams doesn't get hurt, Georgia does not win that game. I'm, I'm with have, you. They didn't, yeah, they didn't have an answer for him. They didn't, they, they, nobody could cover him. Um, and, and Bama was getting started rolling, and then all of a sudden he got hurt and, and, and everything changed. But – yeah, their their rosters are far more equitable uh, across the board. And again, look at we when we talk about draftees and we talk about high end uh, draft prospects. It's not just that they have a lot of them. Look at the positions that they're at. That that's the thing. It's it's, it's corner, it's offensive line, it's pass rusher, it's defensive tackle, it's an edge guy. You know, the, the, all all these uh, quarterback, whatever it may be, all of these guys are difference-maker players at the biggest premium positions on the field. So so Kirby's doing a be- Kirby Smart is doing a better job. They're both picking from the same parking well, lot. They're not, even, they're not even recruiting. They're drafting. Okay. All right. Fair. I like that. that that's, all right. So in Athens and T-Town, they're drafting. Um Kirby and Smart now. Now Nick w- went on that run at the, as you know, the last whatever it was, seventy-two hours of recruiting this past year to move ahead of them, according to on paper. But 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 the last few years is Kirby Smart just he's just getting better five-star players. They're evaluating the better ones out of the the group. What? H- how would you describe well, that? How would you explain it? I mean, it, I don't know. I don't know if it's. That I think you got to acknowledge the fact that you can't sign them all, right? So the hope is I remember having a conversation with Kirby right when he first got the job, and you know there's all this pressure. Oh, you you can't you got to keep all of the best kids in state. You got to sign and keep all the best kids in state. He's like that's impossible. Sure. He goes we we can't we can't sign them all each year. The question is, do we make the right decisions on the ones that we signed? Like for example, like. I get that you can't let a Trevor Lawrence, a Deshaun Watson, um, a Raekwon McMillan, a Von Bell. These are all Georgia kids, by the way. Like I, I, and they all went somewhere else. Like I get that, right? You, 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 you can't allow that to happen. 
and especially if you decide to recruit and sign somebody else in state and it doesn't pan out and those other guys do. That's, that's where I think Georgia and Kirby Smart have really, really turned the tide in Athens is the guys that they have targeted, that they have signed, that they have been able to keep in state away from other people have really, really panned out. And I think towards the latter part of Mark Rick's tenure, they were starting to miss on the in-state kids that they were taking or that they, that they had available to them, and maybe they were getting beat. Because I think, you know, for a while there, whether it was Alabama, whether it was Auburn uh, or Clemson, those three schools were beating Georgia on in-state kids and went on to be good players at other, at other schools, right? And I think where Kirby's done a good job is they've made sure that they've done such an extensive homework project on each one of these kids that if they've got to choose, all right, because they can't sign them all, they've got to choose, they feel really, really confident that the guy they're taking over another guy that they're going to be right on. And is that going to happen all the time? Mm-hmm. Probably not. But he's been right more often than not in the last three to four classes when it comes to that stuff. And Al- and Saban and Alabama have it, right? Yeah. I mean, they've had, but, and the thing is, like, I think the one thing, too, that we've got, we've got to acknowledge in all of this is that we become so conditioned to have an expectation, oftentimes unreasonable, uh, particularly for Alabama right now, right? Because it's all we've known for, for the better part of what, how many years? 15 years? So now you get spoiled, right? And all of a sudden, and this happened to Clemson in the last couple of years, you go 10 and 2, and everybody thinks you stink. Right? right, and you don't go to the college football playoff. Instead, you go and you beat Kansas State like Alabama did in the Sugar Bowl. So now you're a Sugar Bowl champ, but that's not good enough. No, and they didn't the care. Day, yeah, and at the end of the day, Alabama fans and college football fans need to be willing to acknowledge that this thing is going to come to an end at some point. However, like, this, the 12-team yeah. play- right, So we know that Bama was one of the best four teams in the country last year. They just didn't oh, get in yeah, because absolutely. we look yeah, at it in this no nonsense way uh it started in the ap poll coming out of world war ii that oh my god you lost which means we got to move you back i, I see i think that's dumb so many weeks uh let, well let me give you an example luke's uh it, let's say texas loses um 28 24 in t-town all right but yeah. they play a hell of a game um second week of the year well that didn't mean i don't vote i don't get into that nonsense but but let's just say texas is number seven in the country well, the, the okay. 90% of the voters think, oh, well, I got to move Texas to 11. No, you don't. They just went on the road to Alabama and played either the number one or number two team and almost won. So my point there yeah. is Bama was one of the top four teams. They lost at Knoxville and at LSU. Now in the new 12 team, they're in. And with Bryce Young, now they may not have had enough juice in the, in the line of scrimmage, but with Bryce Young, they'd have probably picked off everybody else on the way to play in Georgia in the title, right? They absolutely would have. Because they would have been better. And here, the other thing, too, that, you gotta, that we got to – we're going to touch on the topic of the, of the 12-team playoff, right? Now, first of all, a, a 12-game season is a long season, right? I mean, that's, it's, a, it's a grind. And thank goodness they now have the four-game redshirt rules so you can try to rest some guys. You can get more guys reps, and, that, and that's all fine and dandy. Do you realize, if people give it any thought, do you really truly realize what it is going to take to, if you don't have a buy for you as a football team, like let's just say you're the 10th seed, you talk about a battle of attrition. How in the world 
are some of these teams that are not built like Georgia, that are not built like Alabama, that aren't Clemson, aren't Ohio State, they're not LSU. How in the heck are they supposed to run a five-game gauntlet? It will be be virtually impossible unless like an Auburn or LSU, Bama, Georgia, but an Auburn who's fringy and Clemson, they like lose somebody in October, so they drop a game or two, Tom, but then get that valuable kid, usually at the QB position or edge rusher, something like that. It's got to be a big time. And then they get him back and they somehow find the magic to go through the gauntlet of what you're describing, Tom. Yeah, and, and I tell you, and, and, and again, if we're talking about teams that aren't established with the depth of a, a Georgia and Alabama, but they make the college football playoff, I don't know how their roster is going to hold up through that period of time. It's not. They're it's not going to have enough. They're not going to have enough horses in the stable. No, they're just not. It'll come down to Georgia, LSU, and Bama, um, and every now and then, Ohio State. Maybe Clemson gets back. I don't know what Dab. I know you're. You're very locked in and, and, and to a certain extent close to that program. I don't know if they can find the magic again, but however, uh, for Dabo and Clemson, the 12-team playoff is a gift because the ACC is weak and right. the way they run that program. I know Norbell's coming. We'll see what Crystal Ball does. I'm not sold. Yeah. But but the 12-team playoff will be a gift for them because they can drop a game, possibly even two, and they're in every year, Luke's. So that's a good thing for them. There's no, there's no doubt. And nobody will want them in because they'll know that they got better players than the other teams. Yeah. Outside of, you know, three or four, three or four teams. And I always hear this phrase, oh, all we're doing is trading uh, access, uh, excellence for access. And my response to that is, by expanding from four to 12, my response to that is, yeah, that's probably true, but you're still going to get the excellence. You're just going to have more games before it happens. Right. Right. I'm good because with it because – for me, it if feels Bo, more content. Yeah, if, you, if you look, sorry, Bo, no, go ahead. Look at college football play, If you look at the college football playoff, there's only been two playoff semifinal games that have been competitive. Right, Georgia. Everything else has been a blowout. Oklahoma. So what do you think's going to happen? Yeah, what do you think's going to happen when six meets twelve, seven meets eleven? Like, we're going to get more of those. I'm good with that. Uh, and and yeah. and more sports betting and more things for me to talk about over Christmas holidays. So selfishly, I'm <laughs> I'm I'm great with it. And you'll get to call some of those. Yeah. So I'm I'm good with I'm good with it. But I can't wait to see how it how it looks. Hey, have fun in uh, Athens and Wake Forest and and Boone App State with your son. And uh, hopefully, we'll talk next week and uh, be good, my man. Yeah, man. You too. Good to be back on with you, buddy. Tom Luganville, always fun. National College Football Analyst with ESPN. He joined us on the Farm Bureau Insurance Guest Line. Texas at Bama. Week two under the lights. Quinn Ewers is the quarterback at Texas. I don't know who's going to be the QB at Bama. Which is exciting. I mean, that's fun. I think it's still, it does have a chance to be a heck of a game. I think Bama's still going to be a little bit of a... I mean, they have more talent. And it's at home. But it's going to be a little bit of a work in progress. And uh, I'm hoping Texas can hang in there for four four quarters and we get a really good game, you know, the last eight to ten minutes, six to eight minutes of the game. But it's on prime time. They've already dropped it. And uh, it'll get a big, big number. Dang, this show's flying by. We had Greg Byrne on, AD at Alabama. 
uh, at 7.30 on SEC football scheduling. Luganville at, uh, at 8.30 on the Farm Bureau Insurance Guest Line. Hour 3 coming up.